0: This episode is brought to you by Goalie. Did you know the University of Michigan did a study that found over 80% of apps for kids are designed to lure them into longer gameplay and more in-app purchases? Goalie decided it was time for this to end. Unlike the Kindle and iPad that have endless ads and potentially dangerous content, Goalie is a tablet with only apps that build independent kids. It has no web browser, no social media, and no ads, ever. It has award-winning learning apps like Khan Academy, Duolingo ABC, and Starfall. And the best part? is completely parent-controlled. In my house, we use Goalie's kids' calendar to teach my son how to stay on task. He learns life skills, like how to make a sandwich, by watching one of the hundreds of video classes and can practice it by following along with one of the 50 pre-made routines. As a dad, there's no better feeling than knowing that my son is becoming more independent every day. For more information and to try Goalie risk-free for 30 days, visit getgoalie.com. That's G-E-T-G-O-A-L-L-Y.com and use the code THEAUTISMDAD to save 10%. Welcome to the Autism Dad Podcast. I'm Rob Gorski, and this show is inspired by my own personal journey as a single dad raising three autistic kids. It's all about special needs parenting, the challenges that we face every day, and some of the things we have to learn to navigate. This season, we're going to put a major focus on empowering parents. So we're going to talk about things related to services, supports, and resources, all those things that are very, very important when it comes to raising a special needs child. So thank you for taking the time to tune in, grab a snack, pop in some earbuds, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. On this week's episode, we're going to talk all about speech therapy. My friend, Mikkel Smith, who is a speech and language pathologist, as well as an autism mom, is coming back on the show today to answer some of your questions. Uh, She has a really unique perspective as, you know, not only a professional, but also as a mom to a child who needs speech therapy. So, you know, she was on the show about a year ago, and we had a conversation about speech then. But you guys have asked a ton of questions since that episode aired, and so I thought I would invite her back on, and we'd talk all about it. So uh, I asked as many of your questions as I could. I try to put it in a nice uh, order that will make sense, and... (laughs) Uh, at least for my ADHD brain. Um, And I want this to be a resource that is really beneficial to you and anyone else out there who is looking into speech therapy either for themselves or for their child. So there's a lot about speech therapy that most people don't know. Some of it will absolutely blow your mind because you would never think that a speech uh, therapist would be responsible for helping kids with this kind of problem, but they do. And it's amazing, and I think that uh, talking about it and having these inf- this information readily available can help to demystify it, make parents feel a little more prepared for their initial, uh, you know, evaluations for their kids, and even to help prepare your child for something that could be scary. So, we'll just jump right into the interview. And just just so that you know, when I recorded this, uh, I was sick, and so I feel like I sound really funny. I just thought I would just you know put that out there. Uh, but I really enjoyed this conversation, and I really hope it helps, guys. So be sure to. Uh, like and subscribe and share, and uh, pass this along to anybody that you think will benefit from it. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in and uh, enjoy the interview. Thank you, Mikel, for coming back to the show. Uh, since we last spoke, I think it was it was last last year, I think. Um, I, I've I get a lot of questions about different types of therapies and parents, usually of of younger kids who are just kind of going through this process now. Uh. Are really concerned about you know how do they know if their child needs a specific therapy, how do they know um, like like where do they go for help, how do they get the process started, what can they expect kinds of questions that they should be asking or you know whatever so I thought we would have a conversation about speech because that's that's totally your thing and uh, kind of just give them a roadmap of some background about what speech therapy is and then kind of a roadmap about what to expect and how to navigate this kind of thing so they just have some idea they're not they feel more empowered and not going in blind if that makes sense
1: oh absolutely thank you so much for having me back i am excited to be back and to share some of this information because i too have noticed lots of questions and so i think it will be a great resource to have all the information in one location that parents can access so i'm excited
0: thank you uh okay so let's let's start out by uh well let's real quick, just a little bit about your background.
1: Sure, so I am a speech language pathologist, like you mentioned, and I run a private practice where we contract with schools to provide therapy in the school setting. So um actually, since we talked last, we have expanded to about eight states, which is wow. really exciting. Um, so we are helping families just like your listeners, who are trying to navigate the process, you know and get services for their children. And luckily, you know, we feel very blessed to be able to help so many families. And then personally, I have a son who has been diagnosed with autism and oppositional defiant disorder, sensory processing disorder. So I'm also navigating this road from the parent side of the table. And we started two years ago now. And so um, I feel like I am in a unique situation because I do it professionally as a speech language pathologist and help families. But now also I get to experience the parent side of things and feel the frustration and the loneliness that parents often feel when going through this process.
0: I think it's a really unique position to be in because you can see things from both perspectives. I had, when my youngest was first born, and for the first probably four years of his life, he was nonverbal. And so I had experience with verbal autistic kids and nonverbal autistic kids. So I, I, I sort of got to see both sides of what a lot of other families were doing. So it kind of gave me insights into to both sides of that. Uh, and, it, and it kind of helps to relate to people and and stuff like that. So that's very, very cool. Um, okay, so let's just let's just start out with the basics. So for parents out there who are wondering what speech therapy is, can you just briefly describe what speech therapy is?
1: So speech therapy is therapy for anyone who has difficulty expressing themselves in words or in nonverbal ways. So maybe body language, facial expressions, putting words together, to form sentences or having difficulty with what they're hearing and understanding. So following directions, um, listening comprehension, reading comprehension, of course, articulation. So the way speech sounds are made and as well as things like feeding, are they picky eaters? Do they have trouble chewing and swallowing and memory, cognition? All of those things are things that are worked on in speech therapy.
0: That's a, that's a lot of, I think there's so much, there's such a misunderstanding about what speech actually is. Cause that's so interesting that you guys cover all of those things. And so when a lot of people think speech is about maybe the way that you pronounce a word and they kind of just think that that's the limit to what it is, it's actually more about communication in general. Right. Right. Okay. So, so that's, that's a good under, that's fair to say that.
1: Absolutely. Yes. From everything from body language to facial expressions, all of those are what we call nonverbal language. So things you're not expressively saying, but you're still sending a message. Um, And communication, I feel like, is one of the top indicators, I would say, of someone's quality of life. So our whole goal is to improve the quality of life of whomever it is that we're working with. Often when um, and you probably experience this, I know I've experienced this as a parent of a child who has difficulty expressing themselves. There is a lot of frustration
0: mm-hmm.
1: because the child is trying to tell you something and you just aren't understanding. And so you're asking them to repeat themselves over and over. And eventually they just break down. And they have a meltdown. Yep. And then you both feel defeated because you can't help them because you don't know what they're trying to tell you. If you can't say the sounds correctly, then people aren't understanding you. They're probably asking you to repeat yourself. You're getting self-conscious and then you just shut down.
0: That was a really, that was a really good point. I, I like what you said. Um, it. I, I just recorded an episode because I had a mom reach out and people, and she was asking about, you know, her child is very aggressive and it's like three or four. So there's a lot of hitting and biting, kicking, that kind of stuff. And he's nonverbal. And I remember one of the biggest challenges with my youngest was aggressive behavior at the time. And what we learned was that a lot of that aggression stemmed from frustration as a result of not being able to communicate. And Absolutely. and if you think about it, imagine how frustrating it would be as an adult to not be able to communicate how you're feeling, thinking. Uh, if you're hungry, or you're scared, or you're you know you're sick, or whatever, and not be able to express that, the only way you could express that would be through behavioral changes, right? And right. and so, do you see a lot of do you see a lot of behavioral issues that result from difficulty with communication?
1: Absolutely. Um, often, when we have someone that has behavior difficulties we just because we've done it, you know, for so long, we backtrack and we go backwards through, well, how are they communicating? Are they communicating? Can they, do they have the capacity to verbally express themselves? Do we need to get them another method? So do we need to use like a PECS system, which is a picture communication system Mm -hmm. or an AAC more traditional with like an iPad that has pictures that they can touch and will speak for them because often more often than not, I would say it comes down to the frustration being at that communication level,
0: okay um, I, and i and I, I just I, I think that's really important for parents to hear that because a lot of times they feel we we focus too much on the behavior and not what's driving that behavior. and if your child is nonverbal or even if your child is verbal and they are unable to um express themselves like my youngest when he developed language, I mean, it was like he'd been, it was like a switch just flipped and he just started talking, like he'd been talking his whole life. But his expressive language is still a struggle, you know, yeah. even at 14. And, and it's very frustrating at times. So uh, I think it's important that we, we really focus on that communication piece. And so I'm, I'm glad that you were able to help clarify that. So if parents were out there listening and they have a nonverbal child, is speech something that could benefit their child, even though they're not talking?
1: Yes. There are a number of strategies that can be used to assist a nonverbal child to communicate, whether that be verbally, so they're going to speak words maybe at some point, or through an assistive device that will speak for them that they are in control of.
0: So so speech would be where you'd go to get like an AAC device or some other kind of communication tool. Okay. I, I didn't realize that. That's, that's really, that's really interesting. And, and the feeding problems, um, can you just kind of explain that a little bit? Because how my son went to speech for feeding issues when he was younger and I was completely caught off guard by, by speech doing that. And, and I was just wondering like, what, how do you guys help navigate that?
1: So there are a couple of different factors. When talking about feeding, one problem that we treat is in the mechanics of chewing and swallowing. So perhaps um, the child is not able to chew the food up enough or then they create a bolus and then swallow it. So that's one way that we can help. Another way is just or another aspect that we help target is picky eaters, which I have dealt with in my home. Um, So we just... Use strategies to help the child engage with food on their own terms and become comfortable with it enough that then they're willing to try it. And this is broken down into baby steps from looking at it to touching it to putting it to your lips to your tongue and then finally taking little bites. So, so is this
0: okay? I'm sorry. Is this like sensory related stuff? Yes. Okay. Yes.
1: The pickiness would definitely be sensory related.
0: Okay. Um, so if a parent is out there right now listening and they're concerned that their child needs to see a speech therapist, what, like, what are the signs that they should be looking for to indicate I need to get an evaluation, I guess?
1: Yeah. So um, I would say if your child is not speaking, right, if they're nonverbal or minimally verbal, maybe they have they're 12 months old, or sorry, not 12, because that's when we first start to say words, but maybe they're two or three and they're not really saying anything, I would for sure see a speech language pathologist. Or if they are three to four and you can't understand what they're saying, they are saying things, but it sounds jumbled or you're just like, I have no idea what just came out of your mouth. Then I would go see a therapist. If they are um, three or older and they have a really hard time following directions Um, or if they are five and older and they're really not making friends, they have a difficult time engaging with other people and, you know, following the rules of play that are appropriate for that age Um, or feeding. If they are super picky and you can only get them to eat, you know, granola bars and mac and cheese, then I would also go see a speech therapist. Yeah. It was
0: always chicken nuggets and, um, it was chicken nuggets, mac and cheese for us. Yeah. And
1: that's what
0: it has to. Yeah. that That's so common, especially yeah. among autistic kids, like chicken nuggets and mac and cheese are the, like the. Go to the go tos for everybody. It's so, uh, it's odd that it's, it's such a common thing. Um, okay. So do parents, do they do they see their pediatrician for referral generally, or is it just depend on insurance related things? And
1: For that, I would say it depends on insurance related things. If it were me, I would first reach out to a private clinic in my area. And then if you decide to go the insurance route and they need a referral, then go out, seek it out. But I would not start there because in my experience, pediatricians often push it off and they say, oh, just wait. Just wait, and I'm all about early intervention, so I would rather take the initiative and then go ask for the referral,
0: okay, and before we were talking uh before we were recording, we talked a little bit about um speech in a private setting because you can receive it in a private setting, and then there's also like in school um right. speech therapy. is there a difference
1: um Not really. So I would recommend doing both if you can. If you have insurance that will cover it, that is amazing and go for it. The school based system is going to be free, but there are also limitations within that system because it has to the difficulties have to be impacting their education. Right. And in some states, that means it has to be impacting their grades. Here in Utah, the state has expanded that in recent years to say, is it negatively impacting their school life? So in that, we can throw in their social interactions. Is it negatively impacting social interactions? Um, so my recommendation is to go both routes if you can. Okay. And for the school side, you would reach out to the teacher and say, you know, I have these concerns. What are you seeing in the classroom? and then reach out to the special ed coordinator on campus at your child's school and say, I am noticing these things. I have this data. The teacher has this data that she's collected or he's collected. And I would like to move forward with an evaluation.
0: Okay. And, uh, okay. So my list is now refreshing and now I forgot what I was going to ask you because it's taken forever to download. Um, I think one of the things, (laughs) it's just life anymore. Um, Okay. So basically you'd want to communicate with the teachers. So maybe even the teachers would be someone who would point out like, Hey, you know, we're I noticing see. some, some issues with speech and we want to recommend speech therapy or have them evaluated by the on uh, SLP, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. So in most of our schools, we have a form that we give teachers. And so they especially in the first little bit of the year they're learning all of the students. And so they will fill out our form if they have a concern, which just tells us, these are the things I am noticing. Let's get speech in here to at least do a screening. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the first step to do a screening.
0: Okay. And, and so the, the teachers can be sort of that first line. Right. Okay. So that's help. that's helpful for parents too. Cause if, if teachers are pointing things out, then you know, to, to pay attention and, And, uh, so that's helpful. Um, when it comes to, when it comes to your child's first evaluation, let's say they're going to a private clinic, what, what kinds of things can parents do to prepare for that first like interaction with a speech therapist?
1: Sure. So usually the, in the private setting, they'll have you come in for a free consultation. So I would come with questions. I would come with your list of concerns. These are the things that brought me here so that you can share that with the therapist. They are going to talk to you and engage with your child that first visit. And they'll give you um, their kind of breakdown of what they've noticed. So they'll either confirm the concerns that you have and say, oh yeah, these are concerns that I have as well, because typically your child should be able to Say complete sentences by age three, and you know, he's five and isn't doing that, nor can I understand what he's saying, and I really should be able to understand everything by age five. Um, and they'll also bring up other concerns that they notice that maybe you had not thought of or noticed in the past. In that first visit, they'll give you a recommendation if your child is not doing things that are age appropriate, then they'll say. I really think we should move forward with an evaluation or perhaps your child is right at that cusp and they might recommend waiting for just, you know, a couple of months to six months and say, let's give them a little more time and see if these skills fully come in because it looks like they're starting to come in. So let's just give them a little more time and then they would have you come back
0: after that. What kinds of questions should parents ask?
1: So I would ask. In regards to your concerns, I would ask specifically when should I expect my child to be able to do this? What kinds of things can I do at home to help them build this skill?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: What, you know, are there resources that are available that we can do at home? Are there games? Are there apps? Should I be um, forming play groups? You know, just anything that your therapist can give you to help you essentially be the therapist at home
0: to help build those skills. And are there questions that parents should be prepared to answer?
1: Yes. So they will absolutely get a medical history from you. Uh So um, they'll ask things like, how was your pregnancy? Was your child born at full term? When did they meet those really early milestones? Like when did they start crawling and walking? When was their first word? How many words do they have now? Which I feel like is always a tricky one because as a parent, you're like, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they just say words. So um, as I remember much- that one. Yeah. And then I was pausing and I'm like, hmm, I'm trying to count them all in my head. And I'm sure I missed some, but um, a general idea, you know, of those milestones. And they might ask questions if you have other children. Well, how are they developing compared to? Your other children.
0: -hmm. Um, It's probably safe to assume that when someone is going to a speech therapy appointment, it's not their first interaction with a medical professional. So a lot of the questions are going to seem very familiar. So it's not it's not scary, and it's really interesting that you pointed out the counting of words because I remember I remember being asked that question for each of my kids when they went through speech, and I was like, I have no idea. Like I'm trying to like think I was looking more on like, like how many words in a sentence are they using or that kind of thing. And it, well, is there an easy way to kind of gauge that?
1: Um, I know there are some that do write them down. <laughs> I was never one of those. So, um, I would just, you know, when I was asked, I just went through my mind and gave a rough estimate because I was like, okay, he could say, you know, a couple of clothing items. He can essentially make his wants and needs known. And so I just kind of counted up and guessed. But if you know, if you have scheduled an appointment and you know you're going in, just know this question is going to be asked. And start paying attention. A week before, start paying attention. And maybe you're writing them down, each word that they say, or you're just taking tally marks so that Mm -hmm. you have a rough estimate. But that's what I would suggest.
0: And is the idea just to kind of establish a baseline?
1: Yeah, because we do have um, guidelines in terms of, you know, by 12 months, they should be saying their first word. By 18 months, they should have 50 words. And so they kind of gauge where your child is based on that information. And then, like you mentioned, how many words are they putting together? By age two, you know, they should be putting three words together. So um, that is all helpful information so they can gauge, do we need to move forward with an evaluation or are they progressing maybe just at a slightly slower pace than same age
0: peers? Okay. And another question that I, I, I think is helpful for people, how do you know if your therapist is a good fit? Right? Because like we've had, we've had doctors in the past, like pediatricians or, you know, whether it was like a... Ear, nose, and throat doctor, or whatever whatever we were dealing with, and you know sometimes maybe we felt like they weren't taking us seriously, or they're just whether it's bedside manner, whatever the deal is, uh, and we weren't comfortable, right? So when you're dealing with the speech therapist, how do you like how do you know that that therapist is a good fit?
1: I feel like this is much easier done in the private setting because you have more control, and you are able to observe. So I would take note, when you're going to therapy, how is your child behaving? Are they excited to go? Are they dreading it? Are they whining? You know, when you get there, how do they greet the therapist? And if you are allowed, can you observe their session? And do you see how they interact? Is your child happy, smiling? Can you hear them giggling? Um, Or is it all just, you know? straight line and serious. And when they're done, does your therapist come out and greet you talk to you about how the session went? Do they give you suggestions to things to do at home? Just, I would gauge the overall feel of all of the interaction of both the clinician and your child, as well as the clinician and yourself. Does your child seem happy? And overall, are you seeing progress?
0: We used to, uh, I used to, well, I went to every one of my kids' therapy sessions, so we had speech and OT. It was all in the same, at Akron Children's Hospital, so it was all the same uh, place, just different people. But we would be able to sit, I, I would sit on one side of like this uh, two-way window, or one-way window, where they couldn't, they, my son couldn't see me, but I could see them interacting. and I could hear everything. And so that always made me feel good, because I was able to kind of observe and see kind of the things that were going on during the sessions and then it gave me kind of insight to what you know i could kind of focus on while i was at home and obviously i'm not a therapist i can't replicate everything but just some of the ways that they would would talk to them or encourage them to say things a certain way or whatever i was able to kind of pick up things that were useful uh for home so uh that was really good um what Okay. So when when parents take their child to their first therapy session, and we'll assume it's after that initial evaluation and we decide, okay, we need speech therapy. What can parents expect to happen during that speech therapy session? Like what will their child experience?
1: So for the very first visit, they will probably experience what we call rapport building, or just building that relationship, making sure that the child is comfortable with them. and is excited to be there, wants to participate. That is top priority because if you can't establish that rapport, you're going to get nothing done and no progress will be made. So that's what you will expect the very first session. And then they might introduce some skills that they'll be working on. So maybe they're going to start working on some specific sounds. And I personally like to involve a lot of play-based therapy in my sessions, so we incorporate all of our skill into play. Maybe we're playing a board game, or mm-hmm. maybe we're playing with a cooking set, or with a farm set, or we're going down the slide, you know, or swinging. It can be any number of play-based activities, but especially for the younger kids, that is in my perspective going to be most successful. So you'll see a lot of playing. And from the outside looking in, you might be like, well, it doesn't look like they're getting a lot done, but really. And that's why I think it's important for the therapist to talk to parents afterwards. So they can say, while we were swinging, he was requesting more and he was requesting stop. And all of the skills that they were working on can be explicitly explained.
0: When we, we talked about what, you know, what parents can expect from, um, or how parents can prepare for a therapy session, but how can parents prepare their child for a speech therapy session?
1: I think front-loading. So explaining exactly what's going to happen even before you get into the car. So maybe a few days before you're going to say something like, Hey, remember when we went and met our friend, Miss April, we're going to go see her again in two days. So we're going to have two sleeps and then we're going to go play with her. So after school, we're going to get in the car. We're going to go to see Ms. April. You're going to go with her and she's going to play with you and you're going to have so much fun. Just walking them through the schedule so that they know what to expect.
0: And it takes some of that. Yeah. It adds that predictability, which yep. especially if, if the child is autistic, they really, really appreciate that predictability it makes life easier. It makes life easier for everybody. Uh, um, Will there be things that you need to work on at home?
1: Absolutely. I always give homework because if they're coming to me one or two times a week, and that's the only time that they're practicing, it's going to take us a lot longer to make progress than say, if I give parents homework and they're even doing it twice a week. So that's four days in the week that they're getting practice as opposed to two. So I always give some kind of homework, even if it's, you know, let's say we're working on articulation, even if I just give them a list of five words that I want them to work on twice a week.
0: We used to get homework all the time. And there were times that we would accomplish that, and other times life is just it's really hard to to balance that out. So, you know, the more that you do, the whole point is the more that you do when you're not at therapy, the further along you can be during therapy. And it just, it helps to reinforce a lot of those skills and, you know, kids will tend to make more progress when they're, um, you know, practicing all the time, I guess is sort of the point.
1: Right. And essentially we're creating new habits, right? We're trying to break old habits and establish new ones. And so the more practice they get, the easier it is to establish those habits. So, cons-
0: so consistency, basically, right. is what we're talking about. Okay. Um, um, oh, uh, one of the other questions that I get a lot from parents is, how long will my child be in speech therapy for? So is there a pre, I know insurance dictates this sometimes. Yes. But so we can assume that that's one of the things that will, you know, limit. The time that your child is in therapy, but that aside, ideally, how long would a child be in speech therapy for?
1: That has a number of variables. um so I think it really depends kind of like um, we were talking about practice at home. Mm-hmm. You know, the more you can practice at home, typically, the faster we see results, and the sooner someone can be discharged from therapy. I've had students who have come to me and we've worked on. You know, three or four articulation sounds, and they only need me for three months because they practice at home often enough that we see progress really quickly, and then they're done. But then we have other um, students that have higher needs. I would say that need there be anywhere from a year to two, sometimes three. Honestly, it really depends on the severity of the needs that we're working on and how much practice is being done at
0: home. One of the things you made me think about this when you, when you mentioned that, Um, when we were in occupational therapy, especially with occupational therapy, you know, my son would graduate, right? He would reach that point where he hit all the milestones and we need to, you know, take a break. But then there would be times where I would start to notice a decline in you know, his ability to move or find motor skills or whatever, and then he'd have to be reevaluated and then go through it again. I guess should parents, is there anything that parents should look for to suggest that their their child needs to be, you know, returned to speech after they've been not dismissed, but like graduated from it?
1: Yeah. I, like you mentioned, I would say if you notice that when they graduate, and they're able to do that skill, you know, with 90% accuracy consistently. That's typically when we'll graduate students. And then you kind of see a decline, maybe it's been a couple months, maybe it's been even a couple of years, then I would say it's time to go back and get reevaluated. And that's the great thing is that just because you're discharged doesn't mean you can never go back. It's always open as an available option and so at any point You can come back and say, oh, you know what? She is really, you know, she was at a point where she wasn't stuttering really at all. But right now I can hardly understand anything because she's stuttering so much. So they would come back in and we'd reevaluate. Maybe there was some kind of trauma that had happened and that's really causing her to suddenly have this influx. And she just needs some reminders of strategies she learned before. So it could be that at that point, you're in for a shorter amount of time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: depending on what's causing that decline.
0: Okay. Um, so when it comes to, so kind of along those lines, what is, what is a realistic prognosis in general for speech therapy? So if you have a nonverbal kid going into speech therapy thinking, okay, my kid's going to come out talking probably not realistic. But my kid coming out being able to communicate better or us communicate with him, whatever, that's more realistic. So is there a realistic what should parents realistically expect from speech therapy um if they're, you know, actively engaged and they're doing their part at home and and that kind of thing.
1: I think you just hit it on the head. I think You know, making sure that your expectations are not, regardless of what the difficulty is, your expectations are not necessarily, oh, they're going to come out speaking like I do. Rather, when all is said and done, they will be able to understand me and I will be able to understand them by whichever method we are using. And that way, kind of like going back to what we talked about earlier, frustrations are reduced, Mm -hmm. quality of life for everyone involved is better, and we have progress, even if it's not what I initially expected, we have progress.
0: So it's progress, not perfection. Correct. Okay. Uh And
1: I would say, to add to that, progress based on where they were when they entered therapy not progress based on someone else or the norms.
0: And, well, and that's a really good, that's a really good point too, because when we compare, and, and I think as adults, we do that to ourselves. We base our progress on what someone else is doing rather right. than where we were versus where we are. And so yeah. when you look at progress that way, it's a much more realistic way. And if, you know, if if you go into speech therapy with your child, uh, who maybe. Maybe is nonverbal and and you have no ability or very limited ability to communicate back and forth. you leave speech therapy, maybe it's with an AAC device, or it's it's with a better means of of bridging that communication gap so that uh, quality of life is increased for everyone. I mean like everyone has the right and the need to be able to communicate with the people around them, and speech is where you go to. Um, get that. Yes, if you don't and that's have,
1: what it. it's about. that's what it's all about.
0: All right. Um, do you have any parting advice for parents who are trying to navigate speech therapy, um, and you know maybe help them to ensure that the their child benefits from it as much as possible?
1: Yeah. So my advice would be to reach out if you're just starting out. Google. A clinic in your area, set up a consultation, go with those questions that we talked about, and go from there. Also, if your child is um, school age or even early intervention, talk to the school team or call early intervention and go that route as well. The more support that you can get as a parent, the better. And ask all the questions in terms of what can I do at home? Please give me specific examples of things that I can do at home to help my child, because that's going to be best case scenario for everyone.
0: And I think just to add to that, I think parents should trust their gut. If you feel like something's wrong, you're the, you're the person who's best equipped to identify that initially. And and follow that instinct and, and reach out and get help, you know, whatever route, whatever route you do, whether you go through your pediatrician or whether you reach out to a local age private practice, or, uh, you know, you, you approach the school about it. Like whatever your situation dictates is appropriate. Trust your gut. If you feel something's wrong, there probably
1: is pushback, you know, maybe the pediatrician is saying, Oh, let's hold off and wait. And you just feel in your gut. That's not correct. Move
0: forward anyway yeah, I, I totally agree with that and and that's you know when we talk about whether or not a, a therapist or a doctor or whatever is a good fit, this is one of those times where you can get a feel for that because we've had to we, we've had doctors that we felt weren't taking us seriously, and so we ultimately uh made changes to somebody who would uh, listen to us and who did we felt take us seriously and you know a lot of times I think parents feel like they're overreacting or they're overprotective or they're you know a crazy parent because they think whatever but you're your child's advocate especially when they're that little especially when there's complications like uh lack of communication or or things like that so um i i, to- I totally i totally agree with what you're saying i think that's great advice
1: and parents know them best you know your child best so
0: yep how can people find you if they want to reach out or, uh, you know, tap into the resources that you guys offer.
1: Sure. So we are on Instagram. The handle is I'm dot Mikel, or you can find our website at childchampions.com.
0: Very, very cool. Thank you so much for your time and for, uh, coming back on and, uh, you know, helping people to navigate what is often a very scary, overwhelming and, and, um, frustrating experience for parents. So I I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me.
0: Real quick, before I let you go, I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I, I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed this episode and it has a positive impact on your life because that's what I'm aiming for here. As a reminder, you can visit listen.theautismdad.com. You can learn about me and anything related to the show. You can subscribe on any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. so You never miss a new episode. And please take a moment and rate us on Apple Podcasts. There'll be a link in the show notes below for you just to click. It'll take you right there. It takes like 30 seconds and it makes a big difference. So it's a great way to support the show and uh, help keep the wheels turning. So have a great week and we'll talk soon.